Hey everyone, welcome to DarkCast Interviews. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. GCI is a long-form interview podcast where we talk to game creators about new and upcoming video games, as well as who they are and what they do behind the scenes. In this episode, I talk to Matthias Varley and Renaud Charpentier from Tower 5 about Lorne Sword Winter Chronicle a story-driven action strategy game that puts you in the shoes of a general where you take to the field to command your troops, build your economy, and fight your enemies. For more information about the game, check out the links in the description on YouTube or in the show notes for this episode on DarkStation.com. There you can also find the original DarkCast as well as other video game reviews, previews, and features. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Follow us on Twitter at darkstation underscore com. Find us on Facebook. Check us out on YouTube. And email us at podcast at darkstation.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. Back to Darkcast Interviews, everybody. I'm Jonathan. Joining me today is Matthias and Renaud, and I probably butchered their names. I'm very sorry, but how are you guys doing today? <laughs> well, we're doing we're doing great. Thanks you, thanks a lot for having us. That's uh, that's very nice of you, and uh, we'll try to to make our best uh, impression of English. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, we're doing good, doing good, and don't worry for the names. It's okay. Well, I appreciate it. And as I always tell anybody who speaks multiple languages, you're already doing way better than me. So the fact that you might have an accent, I think, is more forgivable than not being able to speak anything other than American English. (laughs) And not even like real English, just American English, the the subset. Uh, But anyway, uh, so thank you guys so much for being on the show with us today. Uh, I want to, you know, start off by getting to know each of you a little bit and kind of, uh, you know, where you're located, um, that, that sort of thing. So whoever wants to, to go first. Yeah, I'll do that. So I'm Renaud Charpentier and uh, obviously I'm French uh, and uh, I am the, one of the co-founder of our studio, Tower 5, and I'm mainly uh, a game designer. I, I, I design the game and I write the story and I try to manage the project. That's mainly what I do right now. Um, I'm Matthias Vallet. I'm a level designer. Um, I basically do the maps, help out, help out on the uh, balance and testing the game when, uh, when new things come in. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I, um, I at the moment live in between Paris and La Rochelle, so I'm a bit in a kind of a stretching position, but yeah, good. But Matthias is, uh, is, uh, is still studying design actually st- oh. while, while working with us. So excellent. So he's in a design school in Paris. Okay, very cool, very cool. So how long um, have you actually been, uh, I guess, one, going to uh, school for design, and two, been working with Tower 5? So I started the school in September of last year, um, so 2018. Um, 
And I've been with uh, Renault and Tower 5. Well, I've been with Tower 5 since February uh, of this year, but I've known Renault for quite a long time because we used to work together at Creative Assembly. Yeah, so we worked together at Creative Assembly, and funny enough, we met like 10 years ago, I think, yeah. uh, when I was working on a completely different game. Uh, Matthias was a student at the time. Uh, is well, he's still, but he was like a, <laughs> a young student and, and not a not a design student. I think you were doing law, law, law yeah, law school at the time. Uh, and he met because he was one of the avid player of the game we had made by uh, by this time. And uh, I remember I gave him the good advice not to make video game because it's a <laughs> hell of a life. And the last time I, I bumped into him, he had been uh, recruited to work in Creative Assembly, where I was uh, uh, one of the game directors working on some of their games. And I was like, you didn't listen to me, did you? <laughs> To which I replied, you didn't listen to your own advice because he was not working on a video game at the time when I met him. So Yeah, so yeah, we're, we are both in, in it now. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Uh, and as far as uh, Tower 5 is, is concerned, so we are, most of us, uh, we met uh, working at uh, Creative Assembly in the UK, which is a Sega studio, uh, on games like Total War, Alien Isolation, and things like that. And uh, we left Creative Assembly which is a great studio and we're in really good term with them. Um, we have still have many friends uh, there, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, we decided to create Tower 5 in France for several reasons. Well, the main one is that uh, it's my hometown, so that matters. And also, nowadays, you can have a studio kind of anywhere. Um, <clears throat> I started making video games and working in the game industry about... 20 years ago, working for Ubisoft, and had at the time, uh, it, it was, well, that was the end of the 90s, uh, it was still important to be somewhere. Mm -hmm. So to be in Paris, if you were Ubisoft, or to be in London, or to be in those big cities, because uh, the internet was not that fast, people were less connected. So where you were mattered, and what we see more and more, at least in France, is that new studios open in smaller cities, uh, because the, the cost of living is lower and for the same uh, budget for the, for the project, the quality of life of people uh, is much higher. Uh, whatever money you make, uh, if you work in the ultra center of Paris, uh, you're not going to be able to just walk to the beach and have a swim in summer as, as we can do. That's something that <laughs> no money will, will, will bring you. So that was kind of a thinking uh, of settling here in La Rochelle. Um, which is the, the southwest of France, and which is pretty close to Bordeaux, known for, it, for its wine. Uh, but Bordeaux nowadays is quite a big hub for video games. Hmm. So you have very successful studios there. Ubisoft just opened, uh, opened a 200-man studio there. Uh, and you have people uh, uh, like Azobo Studio, who just mm -hmm. released uh, um, a Tale of Plague? Like, I did. Last I, week. I actually just reviewed that game, and that game is phenomenal. Yeah, and people should play it. Yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah. So we are in, we are in the same region as this guy, and yeah, and I know some of them a bit because they used to be from the old uh, studio um, Dark uh, Darkworks, was it? That is, but was in Bordeaux a long time ago. Ooh. Okay. And uh, uh, yeah, they are one of the big uh, big studio in Bordeaux, and you have over quite a lot of uh, good indies. So we are in the same, I would say, video game organization, uh, which is the 
that's why on our website, uh, as, as a humor trait, we said we're part of the Aquitanian Illusionist Guild. Actually, we are part of the uh, syndicate of uh, studios that operate uh, in Aquitaine. Fantastic. That is, that is awesome. And that sounds like just a wonderful place to to be and live and make video games at. So good job on, on accomplishing that. <laughs> well, yeah, it works well. Um, it, 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 that was a, that was an interesting test for us, but, mm -hmm. uh, because I've always been in studios that were uh, bigger and look at bigger cities. Uh, and it's not really a problem. We just finished, uh, recording the voices for the game, for example, and they were recording by recorded by edge studio, uh, and they are located in New York. Uh, our composer uh, is, uh, I don't know exactly where he lives, um, but I think he's living in Budapest or in the neighborhood of Budapest. And he composed a lot of music for the game. We have one of our associates, Horacio, who is the art director and illustrator who did the really nice looking, uh, all of the nice looking 2D art we have. And he lives and works in Paris. So that worked quite well to have people from kind of all over the world contributing. And yeah, that's a, that's a trend that all over the heart of a studio to be in a place that is both cheaper and more enjoyable to live. And that matters for us because uh, doing that is also, that's also part of a plan a bit. I mean, uh, we, are, we are not younglings. <laughs> we, are, we start being a bit veteran developers. Uh, and, uh, and some of us have families and kids. So... Um, we've, we want to, to make a living making video games, that's, that's what we do, that's what we've been doing for a long time, but at some point, uh, how you live matters, and uh, we don't believe at Tower 5 that you will really create something that is really enjoyable for others uh, if it was hell for you to create. There's a lot of uh, controversy and discussion on that right now on crunch in the big right. studios and, and, and they are trying to address it. Many of them at least are talking about it. Uh, but we went through there because we were in that industry, uh, well, for me 20 years ago when that was kind of a norm, uh, a bit everywhere. Uh, and as it's becoming a more, let's say mainstream industry, uh, I think it has to organize differently. Otherwise, People like us uh, won't be able to stick to it. So that's what we try to do at, at Tower 5, to have a, a good, uh, a, be a much better balance, a better life and work balance. And, well, we just need that. We, we, <laughs> we, we, are, we, are, we are too old to crunch for, uh, uh, for weeks and, and, and months, and, and it's, not, uh, uh, it's not good for our families. And, it's, and it's not, I don't think that's... Not necessarily how you make the best games, anyway. Sure, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, this is this is kind of not necessarily the direction that I want to go with the the interview. We're here to talk about uh, Lorne Sword, but how do you guys kind of approach uh, work on it then? Because, I've, you know, like you said, uh, Crunch has been a, a big part of the industry, and there are a lot of people talking about it right now. Uh, but what? How are you trying to not have to do that, I guess? Ooh, uh, I think it's linked a lot to the size you are. It's, mm. um, there, is a, there are problems. Uh, all, of the, all of these studios, uh, there are lots of very clever people uh, that have been doing that for a long time and really try to organize themselves well every time. 
but what uh, what I've seen is that when you start having a certain number of people, maybe like 50, above, up, maybe from 50 to 100, uh, you start you start creating problems uh, that are difficult to solve. It's very very hard to have collaborative work on a complex uh, subject with many people. I mean, it's not only hard in the video game industry, it's hard in any industry that, that requires that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe the difference with, for example, the, the movie industry, that shooting a movie uh, is shorter. You don't spend four or five years uh, working on a movie. You spend maybe, well, for some actors, a month. Maybe for the intra- entire project managers, maybe a year or two. Uh, and the shooting is like what? three months, six months maybe, but not five years like we right. do. So if it's much more tense when you do that hard of shooting, etc., cetera, uh, maybe it's acceptable because it counts in weeks or months. And problem of the game industry is that. So the way we do it uh, is that first we are small. We are a small number of people. That helps a lot. Uh, and secondly, uh, which is from our personal experience, we try to nail the design down as fast as possible. I think that's really something that uh, that is difficult to do if you have a huge ambitious game because not everything's going to come at once. Mm-hmm. If you have, if you are creating a game that has, in terms of design, a more defined scope, and you are doing this and not that, and you can make this choice, uh, then you can iterate on the design from the start as much as you can. That's what, that's what we did actually. Really make sure that yes, that's the game we are making and it works like that, etc. Be- before you spend, uh, I would say, the manpower and effort to to create all of that and develop that core idea. Because if later on in the process you start changing what's the what, what's the heart of your game system, or or if you discover that oh that doesn't work and we change that, yes, but we have already those. 50 levels and we have recorded voices etc so you start having this inertia that's usually where you'll have to work like crazy to to manage those those uh, changes because they are going to disrupt your plans so that's part of the way we try to avoid that is making sure before we put more effort in executing something that the design of that part is final by playing it, testing it, uh, and making sure, yeah, okay, works like that. Now we can invest the effort to, to make it happen a hundred percent. Awesome. So how do you nail something down that well before you're in the process of making it though? Because I feel like to an extent you don't actually know how well it's going to turn out until you've, made the thing uh yeah that's true uh we also have a a genre which is strategy where it's a bit more possible than other genre to be honest um because strategy is uh is relies a lot on the game system Mm -hmm. and is more conceptual so you could say that if you have a strategy game and it's absolutely great great with uh, sphere and boxes instead of character because you are very far above uh, it's probably still going to work when we replace the box by a troll, an orc, or in our case, a sarkan. Uh, it is much less true if you are doing, uh, I worked one on a 3D platformer, which was Rayman. Uh, you white box the level, and then you try your level, etc. But 
once the level from white box goes into full production, that can completely change the readability of the level. And you can discover that suddenly what was okay in white boxing uh, is not as good when it's finished or need adaptation. And, and that's it. You start going into the loop of changing something that is almost final. So most likely games that are very systemic, it makes it a little bit easier to make sure the system uh, works well before you actually do all of the art, all of the, all of the, of the dressing up uh, that, that comes on top of it. Uh, so the genre matters, matter for that, I would think. Uh, I would be very, f that, that's surely very daunting to, to do that on games where everything completely changes the gameplay, including, uh, let's say, a game like Sekiro or all of these uh, third-person uh, action adventure game because before the boss looks exactly like the boss should look like, before all of his effects are there and the precise effects, you don't really know if it's going to be readable, uh, which means there, yes, that would be much harder to say, hey, that's, uh, that's it, it's boxed now, we have to dress it up and it won't change. So yeah, I would guess that, uh, I haven't, I've never worked on such a game, but I would guess a, a driving game, a racing game is a bit the same. You don't necessarily sure. need the, the track. You need the track to be good, and most likely the huge effort of making the track looks really nice on the same, uh, on the exact same uh, shape, uh, is possibly something you can do later on when you're absolutely sure that yeah, okay, the track design is good. We keep it, and and you can probably play with cars that are like not box but like placeover. Uh, models, if the physics, which is the system of a racing game, is good, uh, then most likely you can have a very tuned, very good to drive racing game before you make the effort uh, to do uh, the 80% more work to make it look great and sound great. So I would tend to think it's a bit dependent of the genre you're, you're addressing. Sure. And for us, uh, it's really, uh, especially that's what Matthias uh, is doing a lot. Um, as far as level design is concerned, is doing, um, I would say, how do we call uh, a draft. draft of a map uh, <coughs> quite quickly uh, and trying the idea, playing it. Well, he'll tell you as you proceed. I think that's the best <laughs> idea. Uh, yeah, in terms of level design, the, um, the way I'm doing is I usually tend to draw some boxes, circles, and stuff like that on a sheet of paper <laughs> and just trying to uh, just make a code. Like, okay, boxes aren't going to be the HQs, and and if I want an enemy spawn, I'm going to make a circle and stuff like that. Mm. And I'm just going to draw down a sheet of paper and try and imagine with all my game knowledge, because I've played the game quite ex extensively, see if that looks like a cool idea. And I'm going to play around with that. I'm going to make a lot of different drafters um, to try and see if the concept works. Uh, so what I oh, forgot what I do before that is I uh, draft a concept, as in I'd write down some keywords of ideas, or usually Renault has done that. So he wants a map with uh, two lanes. He wants uh, like a uh, something very heavy on trying to capture a central mine or whatever. And from that on, I start drafting um, uh, schematics of what the maps uh, the map could look like. And once I've got one that kind of feels really right. Once I've got one nailed down, I'm going to go in the uh, in the editor in Unity, um, and I'm going to uh, start putting the boxes uh, in the game. I just take a flat land, put the boxes as I as I've designed them, 
um, and uh, and then I try the map. I try it immediately just to see how it feels. Does it feel exactly right? I, I don't put any blockers unless they're really needed. Mm -hmm. I just put like the bases and the the main point of interest, and that's it. I play the map like that to see yeah. how it goes. And and that's where we can iterate a lot. <coughs> you, can, you can play a first version of the map. When he thinks, yeah, it starts working okay, I can try it, and then we can discuss it, move it, and that is still a process that is quite light. Uh, mm -hmm. We can change things easily. We can say, oh, we should add a, a single gold mine here. It's too much uh, attention point, And maybe we should split that gold mine and have one here and one here. And we can try that pretty quickly uh, without the artist seeing the entire landscape being reshuffled. Uh, and that's iterating on that until we're really happy with it. Uh, and we think, yeah, okay, mechanically it works really well. That's that's what that's the content we want. And then and only then uh, we can pass it to to the artist to make it look good. And then we we'll iterate again on it. That's the process. We actually start dressing it ourselves a bit, just to have some ideas of blockers and stuff. And then we, if that still feels good, then we pass it to the artist. Yeah, which is a bit the equivalent of white boxing a level for a for a game that is uh, uh, in third person view actually, and not in top down view like uh, Lancewood is. Mm -hmm. Have you had any uh, maps that you've uh, built in in white boxing? You're like, okay, this is good. Send it off to the artist. Everything kind of gets done, and then you come back to it, and you're like, okay, this did not. This doesn't work the way that I envisioned it, and you have. You had to rework anything, or is it usually a pretty smooth process in terms of that? Well, most of the time that happens that it doesn't work as we want, but we so far we've managed to spot it before. Okay. So Excellent. I don't think there are there's, many maps. There's one map I can think of, but it's not that it didn't work out. It's that we made some changes and decisions on how. Uh, chapter two would look like and how it would ah, yeah. yeah, it's a bit and, different. And this map yeah. did not uh, fit in the chapter two anymore. Yeah. And although it's a really cool map and the artist started dressing it up, he didn't finish. He just started like putting some stuff and trying to make new because we did needed a new biome, mm. what we call biomes, a new kind of set of areas. So if it's a, a snowy area, if it's an underground area, if it's a, a forest area, that's a biome basically. Mm. Um, and so he made started making that biome, but was just um, drafting it basically. Yeah, but but I wouldn't say the map didn't work. It's like no, uh, it, mechanically it works to the point that <coughs> we will most likely use it for uh, for chapter three. Uh, it's just that we decided that for this map to be great, we need to look we need this map to look like that, and it doesn't fit, so it doesn't fit anymore in right. chapter two. So yeah, it's not uh, our, our process is is far from perfect, but I'm quite happy. I'm quite happy that I would say 90% uh, we avoided um, being forced to rework the art later on uh, because the design had, had changed. Mm. Uh, what happened much more was doing playtest and trying and having feedback and reworking, retooling the the design itself, but being able to keep. Well, 95% of the work that had been done on, on, on the content. And that was kind of mandatory for us because we, we, we just couldn't offer to, to redo everything two or three times like big studios might do. And right. you see these GDC lessons and they have redone the entire UI three times or four <laughs> times. And each iteration looks superb. And we are like, 
uh, no, we, we, we can't do that. We need to get it right first time or we won't have time to, to polish it. So, uh, yeah, so that, that, that worked quite well. But um, we, we had quite a bit of experience working on strategy game coming from CA. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's, of course, a subject we love. Uh, so we had time to think the process out. And probably it's a genre where the process... Uh, has evolved for a long time and is kind of mature. If you look at a game like uh, Warcraft 3, uh, it had already an editor that was given to player that was very mature, very good, to the point that using that editor, people were capable of creating Dota out of it, uh, uh, which means the tool and the way to approach it uh, was much more mature than, than other over probably other types of games. Um, and that helped us by having that, that reference, that grandfather, uh, and that that avoided us kind of being forced to invent absolutely everything, uh, which I think is well when you when you start trying to do your uh, your own your first game for a new studio, um, I think it's 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 wise to have some reference to be a bit uh, humble if you see what I mean and not not think that or we are going to reinvent the wheel because everything that came before was rubbish and we are so <laughs> clever that we are going to do everything completely different. Uh, my veteran experience of development is that you should bring new ideas, you should do something like, as we do with Lonsor that we think has never done like that, but that by evolving what has been done before, it's a bit of a, the saying that, uh, the classical saying of that you, you can see further ahead but only if you if you raise yourself on the shoulders of giants. Right. Otherwise, uh, it's it's going to be very hard. So it demands to be a bit humble. Look at what has been done before and understand the intelligence that that already went uh, in, into the subject. That is fantastic. Uh, let's let's get into the actual game though. Uh, first. Yep. What is a lorn sword versus like a long sword? Ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the best question. So the, the name of the game is effectively lorn sword with an N and not a G, and that's really at the center of the subject and the story uh, storyline. A lorn sword is a specific brand of sword. It's actually not a long sword. It's actually more of a one hand and a half sword. So the knights that use it actually use it either in a single hand or they can grab it with both hands. A bit the same way you can use a, a katana with one hand. Well, it's a bit difficult or two hands most of the time. And it bears this uh, strange name, Lorne, because that was the name uh, of a king that actually started using a sword that looked like that. Uh, and that king became an emperor in that fantasy world. And you are a, a knight of that empire that ruled over um, at least this part of that fantasy world. And to the point that uh, this specific sword with a specific design, um, which is the logo for the game, uh, this specific sword took the name of that king, Lorne, and become a Lorne sword. And to the point that the knights that are using uh, these specific shapes of sword, the same way the samurai is using a, a very specific shape of katana, uh, these knights were called Lorne knights. And uh, that's what gives the name to the game. I can't, I wouldn't want to say much more to the players because the, <laughs> the game is, is, is story-based. Uh, but there is a very strong reason for 
that weapon to be the center of that uh, story. Okay. Uh, the, fir the first game we do is called uh, Winter Chronicle, uh, and it's the first uh, game, of course, when we, we are going to release this year, but uh, we have planned to do other games that keeps telling the story, uh, and, well, uh, why this... Uh, um, this specific weapon, this specific design, and this specific history is at the center of that story and that world will become clearer and clearer. It will already become a bit clearer in the first game and then develop. I wouldn't want to say much more. Okay, fantastic. So, um, what I guess, what is uh, a Lorne Sword exactly? Like, how does it look? You said it's a little bit shorter than a, a long sword, so you can use one ah. hand versus two hands. Like, does it look like a katana? What is? Uh... No, 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 not at all. No. Okay. Um, well, that's where <laughs> that, that's that's where a picture would be worth a thousand words. <laughs> so I could encourage your your listener to actually go to the website uh, uh because actually the logo of the of a game contains the, the shape you, of, of a lawn sword. Ah. So they would see how it looks like. It's kind of a, it's, it's kind of effectively, it is kind of a strange sword with kind of uh, uh, hard edges, a bit like a strangely shaped um, uh, um, uh, bone or stone made uh, blade, so a bit more hmm. barbaric and strange looking mm -hmm. than actually the lawn empire that, that was built thanks to it looks like. Uh, again, uh, so it's, uh, uh, it's made of a single piece of metal, um, of black metal. It has this very strange and peculiar uh, cross guard that is made with um, several metallic uh, spikes that cross themselves where you would have a standard uh, guard for a, for a sword. Mm -hmm. And they cover all of that with a band of linen cloth, both the guard and actually the, the place the where tilt. you, the tilt, um, the hilt, sorry, <laughs> uh, that is covered with, um, with, um, with this bond to actually be able to absorb uh, blood so that it doesn't become soggy if the fight uh, is very long. And one ritual the, the Lord Knight would have before battle is actually to slowly re-equip their sword with fresh bonds of linen in the preparation of, uh, of the fight. Hmm. So yeah, it's a very specific, uh, to add to that, um, a Lord Sword is unique. Each knight is given a single one, a bit like a katana. Okay. For a samurai, it has his name and engraved on it. And if the Lord Knight happened to die, the sword will be used as a kind of gravestone being planted in the in the ground in front of where he lies. That's what I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> that specific thing. Yeah, and no one will touch it. No one in the no one in the Lord Empire will steal one because if you carry one that doesn't belong to you. Uh, that doesn't bear your name, or if you're not a long, uh, long knight, uh, you'll be promptly executed for that. So this sword, even if precious, can stay stuck into the ground where the bearer fell, mm -hmm. uh, and no one will dare to touch it. Well, at least as long as the empire is strong <laughs> and upholding his, his, his rule, which is part <laughs> of the subject. Right. Uh, what came first, the, the sword or the, the game? 
like the the idea for the well, strategy game or like where chicken rags what, what happened first <laughs> well that's a difficult question as far as you said lord and the sword itself came um that that world uh, where I, I tell stories um i started developing that about 25 30 years ago uh, and initially, it was a background for a tabletop RPG. Uh, I had designed and I was running with my friends. So I developed that as a, well, as I, I guess many, many uh, DM are doing for their own pleasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kept developing it. And I already, and then about 10 years ago, when uh, I, I started doing my, I had the chance to be able to do my own game. I was like, yeah, well, uh, that's the background I have developed the most that I love, uh, where I have something consistent uh, in terms of background so I can build on that. And so I started using that uh, to make games uh, in it. Um, and when we had the chance to to, to set up Tower, Tower 5 and, and do Lone Sword, then it was evident that I wanted to keep uh, stick to that background that I love and I've developed, I would say, so much uh, because it's it's so much easier. I guess any anyone who writes uh, fiction uh, or uses fiction for games will probably do the same. It's if you operate with the same word for a long time, uh, these words become coherent for you, consistent, mm-hmm. so you can tell story that feels um, real and that feels consistent because there is much more to it for you who write the story um, than uh, there would be if you had just created that out of thin air or hadn't spent a part of your life with it. So, um, yeah, that was that was a simple choice. So that's where the background came, uh, and as far as which game you you do in that uh, in that world, uh, that was much more um, a choice of uh, again of um, Oh, so of patient. I mean, if if you if you start creating your your own game, um, I mean that would be my only advice to people who want to do that: do something that you love. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you you have a unique chance uh, if you manage to have it to create a game for people to enjoy. That's only going to happen if you enjoy yourself the game you are creating. Um, and so the 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 type of game, the, the subject of the game. Uh, in terms of uh, of design, came I would say simply from what I like, my preference, and the ideas I had, and I wanted to try that I thought uh, had never been tried in in the strategy genre. That that was the core. Excellent. So so what is the um, I guess the story or the setup of um, you know obviously not the whole universe, but Lone Sword uh, Winter Chronicle. Um, well, we wanted to, to to tell a story from an angle that is a bit different from what you have usually. Uh, so you're not a, a young knight that is fresh out of his training, etc. You play you play Corin, and uh, it's uh, it's a trained uh, long knight. He's a man that is nearly in his forties and has a family. He's, he has a wife, he has two daughters, and he's settled in the Empire. So you don't start uh, as an outcast or as an adventurer or as a young, daring, um, I would say, uh, adventurer or, or, or knight. You start as someone that is embedded in that, uh, in that Empire. So you, you understand the world 
through his eyes. And initially, uh, that's the way you're introduced to it. Uh, that that world, the lone umpire and his duty and his his, uh, his, his position as a lone knight seems pretty normal to him. But also, uh, which is one of the theme of the game, that that's a bit the only view he has on the world. So obviously, uh, that might not be entirely what that world is, because, well, maybe there is more to to that world than what you see if you are from only one part of that world, and that's part of it. But having someone that is a bit more mature and um, was interesting, because if you look at storylines for, for games, uh, very often uh, you don't have ties. You, it's, well, very often. In quite a lot of cases, uh, you are you are alone. Very few people depend on you. Some game went into that direction. Uh, I can think, for example, of The Last of Us, uh, where your main character is strongly linked, well, initially to no one, but then to uh, to the second character, mm-hmm. and that's that's a very very important part of the dynamic. And again, which is a um, kind of parallel that I like, that character also. Is not a youngling. The character you play uh, in The Last of Us is also someone who had a family, uh, who is in his, well, it's not very precise, but in his 40. Um, so it's someone that has some some weight, uh, and that's a bit what what I wanted for this uh, for this character, and um, introduce the world uh, through his eyes. Uh, so that's that's a bit different, I guess, from from other. Uh, fantasy set settings. Um, it's not Eric. Or it's not Conan, who are uh, completely free of their action. So, yeah. But that lends itself quite le- quite well to strategy, mm-hmm. because strategy is is you uh, commanding and ordering uh, actually uh, troops. And if you say troops, it also means an economic system. Mm-hmm. So that's not some that's not something a lone wandering hero would be would be brought to do because that doesn't match really well um, and so that that's quite uh, well we'll see how players feel it but we feel it's kind of yeah it makes sense that you are in this position but if you are in this position you're not a loner you are someone with with a past that was the idea right so how does how does that relationship kind of work what is the uh, I guess the core gameplay like and then how does the you know commanding your armies, uh, working with the economy, kind of what's... Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's, the heart, that's the heart of the matter. That's, that's the big thing. So um, strategy, genre, yes, it's really two things, really the economics uh, and, uh, and the fighting, and usually both combined. So if you look at a game like uh, Total War that Creative Assembly is doing, it's, it's a two-layer game. Uh, the economic side is handled on different plane than the battles. Mm-hmm. Most classical RTS, uh, so that would be the lineage of um, Command and Conquer, Red Alert, and of course Warcraft, Starcraft, all of these type of games which are, yeah, Age of Empire, uh, which are really the influence for us. The economy happens at the same time as the fighting. Okay. Uh, and, you, and you have to manage both. Uh, the big difference for us was the focus. In all of these games, uh, your position as a player is kind of remote. You are an abstract general uh, that is controlling a cursor and giving a kind of abstract orders through a UI. So, uh, and that's the position you have in 
goal of the game I've, I've just uh, I've just noted. The core idea I wanted uh, because it, it we had this universe and I had this character and I wanted to tell it sorry, and also because um, I think players and I have been influenced a lot by modern games that focus a lot on heroes. Uh, if you look at games played on console or even games that are popular right now, most of them, you see the world and you interact through the world through a human, or through a hero um, that, that you are in direct control, direct control with. And that was the idea for Lance World in terms of design. I, I wanted a strategy game where you were on the field, where you were a hero. And that meant, which was a choice from the start, okay, you have direct control of the main character. If you take a game like Warcraft 3, you have heroes in Warcraft 3, and they are very important. Uh, your heroes will grow up in power, and even on a single map, your heroes are kind of the strongest unit you have. Mm -hmm. And you do control them, and you do cast spells with them, etc., but the control is still indirect, which, by the way, sometimes allow, allow them to give you not only one, but two or three heroes at the same time. The evolution of that, uh, which was already much closer to what we do, was a game like Dota. Because in a game like Dota, you focus solely your control on a single hero. You don't manage the troops around it, or you manage a couple of spawns that your hero are, is generating, but you don't, you don't manage the rest, mm -hmm. uh, nor the economy, by the way. Um, and, but uh, Dota is still a, a keyboard and mouse game, and you still... Uh, have an indirect uh, control of your hero. You click somewhere and your hero will go there by himself. Or you click on something and your hero will attack that something that you pointed out. So you're still kind of remote. And the first thing for us was to say, no, 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 no. You see the hero, you are Corrin. If you move the stick, Corrin moves. You press that button, he attacks. In a sense, that's exactly the control theme and the, the, the type of uh, relationship you have with any uh, hero in, uh, in a third-person action-adventure game. You push, you push the stick, the hero moves. You press mm -hmm. another button, the hero does another action, be it jumping or casting or summoning, etc. So that was the first choice, which is, uh, we think, quite new in the genre, uh, that you directly control the hero, you are that hero, and... and you perceive a battlefield and you get the information through that hero. That makes a big difference. Now, then the challenge was okay, but how can you, through that, keep um, the other ingredients of a strategy game? How can that hero manage an economy and manage uh, actually a build tree, a tech tree, and command troops, etc.? And that was how we built the game that uh, each of the function of, of the action you can have, uh, you, can, you can do in a strategy game. So building a building there or taking these uh, five archers and these two swordmen and move them at another place of a map to attack that or capture that mine or capture that farm to handle your economy. But all of these actions, you could do them with a direct control by just directly moving your character and going there. And that prompted the entire design because it means you have to forget about uh, a UI on top that you click because you don't have that. So it means the entire interaction with the game has to be next to your character. And that's how we did it. The, the buildings, if you want to build a building, you press a button, it's going to build it where your character is, not where you drag and, not where you drag and drop the building. So if you want the building a little bit more to the left, then you move your character a little bit more to the left. Uh, and build there. Once the building is built, you might want to transform it from a fort to a fire fort, upgrade it, 
uh, we can't rely on you clicking on the building and then having a panel with buttons and choose the option in that because it's not there. You are there. So what, what the, the, the method that we used, and we discovered playtest works really well, is that uh, the option to build a building are laid out around the building in the 3D world and you just move on the option that you want and select it. In that sense, you could say that uh, moving your hero, your hero is kind of your the embodiment of your cursor and all the choice you make uh, are made like that. It means that if you want to grab these uh, 10 archers and move them, instead of selecting them with a square, you go next to them, you press the right trigger, and your hero is going to order this guy to follow him. Once these guys are in follow mode, you just move them yourself with a, uh, with a stick to the place where you want them to, to attack or defend or, or act, and you free them, and then they will act. Okay. That's, that's, that's the big shift from, uh, I could say, traditional RTS, that it's direct action and it feels much more at the start like a hack and slash or an action game. That's why we, we to try to explain that, we say that's an action strategy game. Mm -hmm. And I think how people will perceive it is that first they'll feel, oh, okay, that's an action game where I can also do a bit of building and economy, etc. And the more they progress, because that's the most evident, just moving the character, attacking, uh, using his power and his spells, that's the thing that is the most uh, direct to access. So initially, that's what players do first, and we encourage them to do that first. And the more the game develops, the more the economy and the, the tactical and then strategical situation of a map becomes more complex, the more you start relying on actually the strategic aspect of it, to the point that some player later on in the game, they actually solve an uh, entire map, they, they win entire battle without swinging their sword a single time where in the first map you can nearly win the battle just through your character as, 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 a, as a sword fighter and use primarily that. And that's the interesting bit we, we try to keep in balance, that you, kind, you kind, of, kind of choose your approach, choose if you want to be more focused on the character, have stronger summon, and so basically use more action to interact with the world, or if you are going to rely more on the economy, on the strategy, and uh, your men to actually do the work for you, which is more of a general's approach, and try to, so of course, depending on the map, you might have a subject that is dominant, but the idea is that, depending on your preference, you might lean more in one direction or the other, and the challenge for us is to, is to keep the balance between the, between the two approaches, action and strategy, and I that well we think it works pretty well and well uh, at least we like it which is already something <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, i would say that that's the, that's what we are trying to bring to the genre and to the player uh, which also has an advantage is that uh, you play that with a controller and playing that with a controller is different from playing with a keyboard and a mouse, even in terms of uh, your position. So you can play that uh, in a couch in mm -hmm. front of a TV. You can play that on a console, or if you have your, your PC set up uh, below your, you can use, uh, for example, uh, Steam big, big Picture Mode, is it the name? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and actually play that as a... As if you were on a console. As if you were on a, directly on the console. Which is quite fresh and relaxing. So yeah, that sure. Well, people will judge. <laughs> Player will judge. <laughs> hopefully, but that was the idea. Really saying, 
look, what we ended up with in the end is an action strategy game. So if you're interested in an action game, yeah, it should be quite easy for you to, to get it and start playing it. And you can discover strategy uh, bit, by bit. bit by bit until you master it. Uh, and if you are a, a really a strategy player, uh, you will use that action part less. It's not forced on you, and you can rely much more on strategy. And yeah, that will be interesting to see how both type of player approach it, uh, especially when we'll see. Uh, well, we have seen that a bit in 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 playtest already. And yes, you, you you have different style of play, which I think is always a good thing if you can play a game with different way. If it doesn't force you down a single uh, corridor too strongly. Right. Absolutely. That that sounds really cool. And that sounds like um, a great way, uh, even if this wasn't necessarily your intent, but a great way to kind of adapt the, the strategy game to a, you know, controller uh, size yeah. control scheme or, you know, even a, a console. Um, I feel like that's something people have been trying to do for a long time. And every time somebody announces, hey, we're, we're bringing this strategy game to the consoles, there's kind of this collective groan of, oh, let's see how they dumb <laughs> this down um, yeah. or, you know, convolute the controller or whatever. Well, so I guess, I guess we'll be the next we'll be the next challenger in line for that subject. Uh, even if initially that that was not the, the, the core thing initially, mm -hmm. but quite quickly we we did realize that uh, it was better like that. Mm -hmm. So you can effectively play the game with a with a keyboard. You you can rebind your keys, etc. But it's much. Let's be honest. It's it's much better with a controller, even on PC. I I, I played all the time on PC because, of course, we develop on PC, mm -hmm. uh, and we made sure that you could, uh, which was a bit of work. You, you can connect any controller to your to your PC, being a PlayStation pad, Xbox pad, a Steam controller, of course, or. Mm -hmm any generic controller you can find and that the game detects it and 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 propose you the right icons etc so we made that effort because yeah that's really the way the game is meant to be played that's that's better and it's, it's kind of when we had that uh, pre-production we had the prototypes and we were playing them etc uh it's surprisingly it's a bit actually there that we thought hey so that should work pretty well on the console so that's not necessarily the um the initial objective but it became kind of clear mm -hmm. and then we, we we tried it in that format by just connecting a pc to a to a television actually initially we didn't have kit uh and yeah we're like ah yeah well yeah strategy in a couch <laughs> does work uh and what that informed by the way but because that was a decision that called later on was but these screens are really big and we pan like that so we could just split the screen in two in the middle mm -hmm. And have one player on the right, one player on the left, and that would still be very comfortable. So very quickly in the, in the early iteration, we did that thing. We're like, okay, let's connect a second controller, split the screen in two immediately, and have two players playing in co-op. Uh, and that's something that came qu quite quickly, and we're like, yeah, that works really well. Which <laughs> prompted for adapting the design so that you can effectively have two heroes on the battlefield at the same time and that it doesn't imbalance the game, uh, which we did by sharing, the, you share the resource actually mm. um, with the other player. So you can be in two places at the same time. You can be, you can be fighting uh, on the left, uh, on the north front, and I can be fighting on the east front. Still, if you build a building, you use the same pool of gold that I use, uh, and you are also going to use the same pool of food that I use. So it doesn't make us 
interestingly stronger in terms of, uh, of strategy, uh, but it allows us to be at, at to act at two different places at the same time, uh, which helps. The interesting thing is that if you don't coordinate with your with your friend, you might even make the game slightly harder because you'll go there <laughs> to do this and that, and like oh, I'm going to plant that tower, and then I'm going to use these summons, and I know why did you use the gold? I, I needed it. Except... <laughs> So, uh, so in our experience now, which is really interesting with the kind of um, alpha maps we have and the, the game that is uh, that is coming to early access, we haven't had to change the difficulty uh, of the maps for uh, single player or co-op, because actually, from our experience, it's kind of balanced. The, the necessity to coordinate your strategic action with your friend kind of balance the advantage you have to be able to to be at two place at the same time so that that's going to be really interesting to have uh, that's that's part of the reason uh, really we we do early access it, to get feedback on that um, when you do uh, when you have a control scheme and a proposal for strategy that is that is a bit new and different from uh, from everything that has been there you need to collect feedback because you can't really know in advance how uh, a a bigger number of players are going to react and what they will think. Maybe we'll have to 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 make the, the co-op a little bit maybe easier or maybe a little bit harder depending how people fit. Or maybe it's kind of spot or spot on and and yeah we'll, we'll we'll keep the balance like that. But that's that part of saying yeah we can split the screen and have two controller that came once we had it running on a I would say I would say in a, in a, in a couch setup. So couch plus TV and uh, and controller and that becomes self-evident I think that's that that was the right way to do it to to add the, the really interesting feature of design um, because they may they were consistent with the initial objective which was direct control of on the character uh, and have an action layer and so it brought to us uh, the other uh, big design decision actually that uh, that shaped the game yeah but that's how we proceed anyway Fantastic. It, also, it also enables uh, that the way it was made enables us to uh, have this opt in and opt out cop. That means I can start my map, play for five ten minutes, and you just ring at my door, uh, ring at my place, and you're like, "Oh, what are you doing? Playing uh, playing lawn night, lawn sword? Do I play with me? Oh yeah, sure. Take uh, take the controller. Just sit with me, and let's keep, let's keep on doing my mission together. Hmm. And so you just come in, play for five minutes. Oh, sorry, dude, I need to go now. And he leaves, and he just played five minutes with you. But it's not an issue because it didn't unbalance anything. The map itself didn't change because we're not changing the balance of the map depending on if you have a cop or not. So, it so, so yeah, it's, it makes it very yeah, easy. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It's really, it's really drop in and drop out uh, multiplayer, which which I haven't seen in many games uh, in the sense that you don't have to restart the map. Mm -hmm. You just press one button on the second controller, it splits the screen, and immediately you can control the second mm -hmm. character. And if you have to go, you press and you press well uh, start again. You quit, uh, and then I get the entire real estate of the screen, and I, and I continue by myself. So I don't have to restart the map or change the mode, and and that's that's really well. We like it. We think it's uh, it's uh, especially for couch player or, or or people in the house. If you have fr friends and or children, they, they want to try it, etc. That's that's a good thing that 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 we drop in drop out uh, and we stick to it. We made a couple of design decisions, so that was completely possible. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we we like that multiplayer mode. It's, uh, it's, it really works well. Mm. 
Uh, so as far as comp or uh, co-op goes, uh, is the other character just another version of the main character, or is it one of his lieutenants, or who who is that person it's, in the game? It's 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 your it's your lieutenant, and it's completely integrated to the story. So okay. uh, I won't tell about your evolution. You start as a, as a lone knight, then you'll become quite quickly a general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second character is Lassia, and she is your officer actually. Okay. Um, and she's present during the discussions, etc. So uh, that second character is not you, obviously, uh, and is by your side. Uh, we just consider and explain that either you decide to give her a specific mission, or she's going to do general help, but she's she's actually still there. Yeah. Okay, so she she in some ways kind of acts as a, a hero from a more traditional uh, strategy game that you have. She's a kind of her own unit. If yes. somebody's not controlling her, okay. Yeah, but but if you if if no human player is playing her, she's not on the battlefield. She stays okay. in the headquarter actually. So um, <clears throat> that second character is like the main character. Uh, either it's a human uh, acting through her. Uh, either she's not there, so she's a principal character, and we yeah. we treat her the same way as as your hero, and then there are sheets later on. The, the first time when you can do co-op, we actually justify that by saying uh, that the main character can either do that on his own if he decides to, or he can ask his captain to help him and uh, go and scout things or go and do the fighting. So so it's a, yeah, it's completely integrated <coughs> in the narrative, and the narrative is the thing that 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 drives the game forward. That's something that uh, was really enjoyable in things like Warcraft 3 or Starcraft, that uh, there is a, a strong justification uh, to what is happening in each of these maps and, and missions. And that's something we really wanted to keep. So we, we, we made quite a lot of effort to try to tell an interesting story sure. that makes sense in a, in a strategic way. Um, I think the, the first time I really... Enjoyed that, discovered that, in, done that way was with uh, Red Alert, uh, mm-hmm. Command Conquer Red Alert. They had a they had a campaign that was really great. It was a bit yeah, it was, fun. It was a bit more tongue in cheek and fun, and they had these kind of bit silly uh, videos. I remember that there were videos at the time, um, but that really carried the game and made it something different than uh, the strategy game of before. That was just like, oh, okay, you have to beat map three, and and that's it, um, and. For me, one of the best, well, uh, yeah, surely one of the best examples of that is the, is the Warcraft 3 campaign that was so good that it actually uh, gave all of the background for World of Warcraft in the end. So <laughs> kudos, kudos to the writers there. Definitely. Um, as You've talked a lot about the co-op being uh, kind of a couch co-op thing where somebody can come and sit down yeah. with you. Is there an online version of that? No, we've okay. decided for for this first game. Um, I would say our, our philosophy is really, if if we can't do something great, we won't do it. Mm. <laughs> sure. So yeah. that's that's the interest of being an independent uh, studio is that uh, we don't have to tick boxes and we're not forced to have that feature because uh, because it's trendy and uh, someone in the marketing department thinks that, oh, we have to have that, <laughs> even if, if it completely disrupts the production. So we can just say, no, no, that we can't, we can't, we cannot do it well. Uh, we would stretch ourselves too thin. So we decided to keep that for the second game, actually. That would okay. be the case. And, uh, and only do what we can do great. Well, what we can do at our best, at least, 
and it's already uh, it's already enough work for us. <laughs> Let's say that like that. Um, but um, uh, so yeah, multiplayer is in the form of uh, of couch co-op. From from the early feedback we gather, uh, it covers the need of quite a lot of players because quite a few people uh, have have one more person, be it their, I don't know, their boyfriend, girlfriend, maybe one of their, their kid or uh, to play the game with. Uh, if you want to go above that, so if you want to really play with three, four, five other people, you need a service to do that. You need to find these people online uh, because you'll probably, well, apart if you are playing uh, Smash Bros, but that's kind of an exception, uh, you won't have them around you. And then it means you have to have a great service, like all of the modern games that are successful are proving. If you start doing multiplayer, you need something that is really solid, with a great matchmaking, uh, with a great service that goes behind it. And that's a lot of work. We've done that. We've designed and, and set those up for games we've worked in the past. So... We know very well the huge amount of work it is to, to, to do that and to run that and keep it stable. So, no, we said, no, let's, let's only do what we can really do uh, best without, lim without technical limits, actually, um, and settled for, uh, yeah, couch multiplayer, which is uh, what we have. Excellent. Now, the game is coming out uh, very soon uh, in early access on Steam. Uh, yeah. Why why go the early access route versus the more I guess traditional release date kind of thing? Uh, well, for what early access is made for, um, uh, obviously you can't do the equivalent on consoles, uh, and it's a new pattern, as I like to say, like a, a new design pattern. Uh, the story we tell is different. The uh, the way we teach, so we, we teach people, of course, to play a different way than they are used to, uh, and all of that, you need feedback on it. So uh, if you go release, it means you have made all of the decision, <laughs> and you're absolutely sure your decisions are, are great, and they're not going to change anyway because it's released, so you can't change major things, which is a bit back to the early decision. You can't change everything now, it's too late. Um, so early access, in that case for us, uh, is really for that. It's really to validate, have feedback uh, on the core decision and what the game is early on. Well, it's not that early because we we spent a year and a half full time on the game now. So uh, it's not early access like that's a prototype. It's it's already a, a mature game, but it's a game that is not finished uh, completely, which means we can still make uh, changes. We can still listen to the community and. I don't know if, for example, they absolutely hate that map because the objective is not clear and we don't get it, etc. Well, great, okay, we can still remove that map or fix it. Uh, if you go straight for release uh, on console and PC, well, that's it. Maybe at the best you'll be able to patch that later on if you can, and not even sure because if that map that, that, map that doesn't work that well had, uh, for example, recorded text on top of it, can you can you do the recordings again? Can you have the actors being available again? So it's much harder to do that. So early access for us is really that. It's uh, it's gathering initial feedback um, when we still have time to actually uh, listen to it and do something with it. After that, uh, once you pass release, most of the time, unless your game is a, is an MMORPG, you're going to update for, for years. But for most of the games, that's it. You can change the game by 5%. We can still change the game by like 30 percent, so it, it's 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 now that we need that uh, that thing, and that's why we'll be in um, in early access uh, end of this month, so on the 30th actually. 
Okay. Off me. Off me. <laughs> so where, uh, as far as what's kind of complete in the game now versus what uh, you still have to do down the road, where where's the game at? Um, content mainly. So uh, the game is <clears throat> the total game is three chapter. The early act, a prologue which you could say is is a, is a tutorial and a bit more, but we call it a prologue. Then uh, And then free chapter. Uh, this version for, uh, well, actually next week I'm speaking, is going to have the two first chapters. So it's not going to have a third chapter. And also there are some other modes for the game that we've been working on, but we haven't pushed forward yet, like having um, the possibility to have a challenge mode where you play the maps uh, with a scoring on some of the map, and you can have a competition based on that. And there are other stuff going down the line. But the reason we we, we want to propose uh, Prologue Chapter 1 and 2 is that it's the heart of the game. And that tells us if we are good at telling people how to play it. So if, if basically the, the onboarding is clear enough, which for, I think, a new control scheme and a new type of action strategy game is important because, yeah, of course we did playtest, of course we play by ourselves, but there is a big difference from having feedback from tens of people, which is the maximum we can do for physical playtest here, uh, and having feedbacks from hundreds or hopefully thousands of players. You, you, you're not going to gather, uh, uh, you're going to, we're going to gather much more information, much more feedback uh, like that. And that's why we, we wanted to propose the heart of the game how you how you approach it, the onboarding, prologue, and then two good meaty chapter where you play for different style of map, use well, I can't say too much, but use different factions, uh, and and have a, a consistent feedback on that because if we manage to get that right, and if we manage to to fix the things that people tell us no, you need to fix that or most likely explain some element better than we explain them now. Maybe that bit of the UI is not as clear as we thought it was, so we should make it clearer, etc., etc. All of that feedback, uh, once we uh, we act on that and we, and we use it, uh, the other modes of the game uh, will come naturally because they use the same uh, the same base actually. So so that was the idea of let's uh, give to the player first something meaty, really worth. Uh, playing so that's uh, that's tens of hours of play uh, we think will but also something interesting to see how fast uh, an average and how fast the, the player actually uh, uh, go through the story and 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 those uh, and those maps um, and this part of the game um, and uh, give them something meaty and not just a teaser I mean on early access some games. And maybe it's very, that's a strategy. They, they come with something very limited that is very early, which is nearly a prototype and a couple of hours, and that's it. Um, okay, if it's but we couldn't really have done that because that it's not a pattern that exists. We needed to create it mm-hmm. so that we can explain it to people, and it's kind of mature enough so that you can get it. If you're doing a uh, well, we're talking about a racing game, but if you do a racing game and you have different handling for the car, etc., maybe you can do one car and one track and kind of pr- prove your point because the feeling is already there uh, and player will see, oh, okay, then they can have 100 cars and, and 20 track, etc. But that's what it is um, because your, your system is, is simpler and also people know what it is. It's a racing game, there is a track, there is a car, there is a grip and controls and etc. So you, you're just proposing 
a variant of a gameplay pattern that already exists. Mm -hmm. If you come with a new gameplay pattern or an evolution of gameplay pattern, eh, you need to have enough so that people can experience it and understand it before they can tell you anything about it. Sure. Otherwise, they'll just tell you, eh, yeah, you did that, but we don't really see what it is, so we can't really give you feedback. Mm -hmm. So that was the idea, yeah. And, and of course, why, uh, why PC and Steam? Because that's the, that's the best place for us to do it. Uh, Steam has many, many tools for the community uh, and is, is actually built to do that. They are not really other platforms, I mean, uh, PC platforms that are as mature as, uh, as, as Steam is. And that's not um, a really a habit to do that on consoles. Uh, console is more a place where uh, you push the games when they are finished. There are initiatives to test it. And, and thanks to Microsoft, uh, we should be doing that uh, next month. Okay. So we'll, 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 we should, well, we have, we are preparing that with them, so we don't know exactly yet when it's going to announce. But normally in June or July, and June maybe the beginning of July, uh, we will do a, a test uh, for the for the game on uh, on Xbox. That's what we we are aiming for. Okay. And for and for the same reason, so uh, give Xbox player access to the game and then gather gather their feedback because surely their um, their culture and the feedback as console player will be a bit different from uh, the feedback we'll get from PC players, even if most of the time uh, when something works in the game, everyone agrees it works. And when something doesn't work, every community is going to tell you it doesn't work. So yeah, everything useful. It will be interesting to see just how the, the different sensibilities of both kind of populations of gamers react to the game and what their thoughts are and, and feedback. That, that'll be really, really interesting. So um, as far as the, the future of the game with early access, uh, how long are you guys hoping to be in early access? And what's your, I guess, window for the, the 1.0 version of the game? Uh, so that will be between four and five months uh, for early access, uh, depending. Uh, ideally four. Um, the, the, the targets and the window so far for, for console is September. But that could be early September or late September, or it could be uh, in November. We're not completely fixed on that, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Usually studios give a very fixed. So officially it's the 16th of September, I think, in our, in our plans. But I would say our luxury as, a, as an independent studio uh, is that we can move that uh, if need there be, and uh, for, the best of the, for the best of the game. Uh, and to be honest, that's also part of the feedback we get. Right. So uh, we'll see what comes back from from early access. Um, we also are quite flexible. So it's, of course we're going to do the chapter three, conclude the story for Winter Chronicle, where it has to be concluded. But then the additional modes and feature we add to the game, we're kind of flexible on that. So we are we are waiting to see the feedback from player. Uh, what's important for them is it again a little bit more of a story, like a, like a, a post fast or. Um, a conclusion, or would they like to have like much more maps. More, uh, more maps or mm. challenge mode that are more of a higher difficulty? And yeah, we we have plans for for all that. But what we do first, uh, and what we propose first to player is is actually really up to uh, the demand we have and and the feedback that we get. Um, so that could change our plans a little bit by uh, by a couple of weeks. So yeah, we'll listen and we'll we'll adapt. I think agility is our 
is our strength as a, as a small team sure. uh, um, compared to a huge team that has the, the firepower and the, the traction to do a lot in parallel. Uh, we can do one thing at a time, but we are much more flexible in our planning so we can choose what's the next thing we, we propose to people. And that's what we're going to do. So all in all, yeah, four or five, four, five months, I think. Okay. Very cool. Well, I, I think that does it for my questions about the game itself. Uh, as I told you before we got started, we end with a little thing uh, that we call the end game. Uh, and it's some questions for both of you. Um, mm-hmm. So it starts off pretty simple. And the first question is, who is your favorite video game character? It can be hero, sidekick, villain, whoever. Oof, that's, that's a difficult one. Yeah, I guess yes. it's a difficult one for everyone. <laughs> uh, um, I think I can answer that first because it's one of the one of the one of uh, it's one of the the main characters I followed most since I'm a child. Mm-hmm. It's one I kind of grew up with. Uh, I haven't played all iterations of that franchise, but I really loved it from the beginning. I've got fun memories. And um, I don't know. There's something about him I like. It's uh, Link in uh, in the Zelda games. Okay. Any particular <laughs> version of Link that you like the most? Um, I love Breath of the Wild. I I really like how the character is kind of uh, waking up and always kind of you you have the impression he's still waking up even at the end of the game. <laughs> uh, that that's something I um, loved about him because I'm. Uh, I'm a big sleeper. <laughs> I tend to uh, to go to to bed late, but wake up late as well. So it made me feel kind of connected to him. Uh, but I love the the um, one of the very first games, which is a, a link to the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope I got the title right because there's that new one on 3DS. Well, new one, um, more recent one on 3DS that has a similar title. Uh, oh yeah. I think it's a link to the past. Uh, the older one, the one on uh, Super Nintendo. Oh, um, I would have many answers. Uh, I think I'll I'll pick I'll, I will pick Snake actually from Metal Gear, uh, and probably because and I think the name comes from there. It's the name of a of a character in John Carpenter's uh, New York uh, uh, New York '97 movie, mm-hmm. Snake Plissken, and I, I I think I've read that that Kojima named the character like that thanks to the. Uh, the Kurt Russell impersonation of uh, Carpenter's uh, character, and yeah, the name, but also yeah, the, the character and the, the series of game that uh, that was uh, that was really fantastic. So I'm curious to know what's going to be the name of uh, of the main character in the next Koji- Kojima game. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yeah, and I think uh, I think it was Metal Gear Solid 2 that when Snake was uh, undercover as just a soldier, his name was Pliskin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Ah. Okay. Okay. So. So the re- Okay. Yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. So the reference is is yeah, uh, definite time is, is, is assumed. Great. Yeah. So that's definitely my pick then. Excellent. <laughs> uh, and then the uh, the newest link, um, not to the past. The the tr- sequel to it was a link between worlds. I had to look it up. I can't remember either. Oh. Cool. Uh, so okay. The, excellent. Okay, uh, so the the next question uh, gets a little bit more difficult as kind of these continue to get more and more difficult. Uh, if you could replay a game for the first time, so you could have that that first experience with it, but you don't have to worry about it aging poorly or anything like that, mm-hmm. you just get to have those uh, those good feelings again. What what game would that be? I know, Final Fantasy VII. Okay. I I love that game when I was a kid. I had the first a 
demo on PC and mm. uh, I loved it. Are you Oof. excited for the uh, the remake? Uh, scared. Excited. <laughs> what's what's very very hard again? Uh, uh, maybe I I really love to be able to discover uh, World of Warcraft for the same for the first time. Mm. So discovered the original uh, vanilla World of Warcraft when it was released. Mm -hmm. I had the chance to be part of a, of a beta test for World of Warcraft. So I remember playing the, the last uh, scene before the end of the beta test where uh, Iron Forge was attacked by elementals, etc., etc. And then playing the first week when it released. And there was not, there was not that many people. I mean, it became incredibly popular, but it took, it took a couple of months for everyone to join. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that initial uh, walking to Iron Forge and having the music and, and, and flying uh, on, uh, uh, flying from one outpost to the other first time. And, and then the rest of the game, so high-end raiding, did a lot of that in back in the days. And yeah, that, I'd, I'd be able, I'd be really happy to forget about that and do it again. <laughs> Well, they're relaunching it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, precisely. So many people must be thinking the same because they, they are relaunching it. I don't know. I might. Uh, that will be interesting. I, I will probably try it and see. Uh, but it's uh, yeah, it's like Heraclit said. You you can't you can't bathe twice in the same river. Sadly, for humans. So it will be probably interesting, but different. So that would be the right. game. Yeah, I'd be able to. I'd love okay. to replay fresh. All right, so this question's uh, kind of similar but a little different, and that's if you could give a game a second chance. Uh, so whether you know you expected to like it and didn't, or you played it at a bad time in your life, or what, whatever the case may be, you just you had a bad impression with a game, but you would like to give it a fresh start. What would mm. you like to be? Uh, for me, that would be the first Dark Souls. Mm. Uh, which I dropped at the time and uh, then I went back to the series playing Dark Souls 3 which I absolutely love and then played all the rest including Bloodborne etc mm -hmm. um, and so gave uh, Dark Souls 1 a first uh, a second try but yeah that would be the one that I I failed to appreciate the first time I uh, encountered it I would say well, I'm going to use Arno's uh, answer to the previous question. Uh, <laughs> a game that I really did not enjoy, despite being a big fan of MMOs, was World of Warcraft. I joined the game, I think it was out for three months when I joined. My One of my younger brothers was playing it and was really into it. And he said, well, you used to play the, the forthcoming T4C, which was a big, in France, it was a big MMO uh, at the time. And... Um, <clears throat> And I think you can get your fix with, with World of Warcraft, so try it. So I tried on his account, created a character, tried on his account, uh, played, a, I was in a boarding school at the time, so only on weekends. And I played for a month, I think, and I don't know, I didn't get into it. It, <laughs> it didn't ring a bell. I had that whole, I was really into role-playing and arrived on a role-play server and no one was role-playing. And it was just like, someone just dueled me, he was two levels above me, and I still managed to beat him and I was like okay so no I'm no it, I don't know I didn't feel the appeal but I never went into high level so maybe I missed out on something so we, we both uh, <laughs> that's a good question so we both missed on great games actually but that always happened absolutely all right so what is a what is a good trend in video games uh, whether it's it's prolific or not, um, but what what is something that at least a few games are doing that you feel like should become 
more prevalent. Right now, you mean? Yeah. Ooh, uh, oof, that's a wide question. Um, one thing that I like, and we try to do a bit with a, a system you'll see playing longsword because the, the, the ground is, is permanently marked by the way you do, is to do what is usually called uh, environmental storytelling. Mm -hmm. So uh, trying to pass as much background and knowledge of what has happened in a place by how the place looks like. Mm. Um, I think a game like uh, the last one where I see it done really well was in, uh, in Fallout 4, uh, where you have those houses that are abandoned, uh, but you find some little text and you, and you, you see a character that's just in a corner with a gun and there are carcass of thing in front of him. So you understand that there was a fight, etc. Uh, and it's done also pretty well in, uh, in Bloodborne. Uh, if, if you pay attention, uh, the world has pre-existed you being there. It's not all clean and you can extract a lot, uh, from it, if, but it's not forced to you. Uh, which I like, and yes, I think that's a, uh, which basically means um, creating worlds uh, that have existed before and have an internal logic that you can read. And I think that's sure. uh, that's an interesting trend, which is also made possible by the tech. Because when when we were making game 20 years ago, we had uh, 20,000 polygons for an entire level. Mm. So that, when that's your limit, uh, and you do a rock with with eight polygons. Uh, you can't really have that much uh, environmental detail that pa pass you a story. But nowadays, doable. It's quite a lot of work, but I think it's an elegant way of um, of making your your world uh, come alive. Yeah, and have a past. Sure, and I feel like all too often uh, people take environmental storytelling to mean just somebody scrawled some text on the wall with blood, and that's like. They're, that that's like the most popular version of yeah. environment is like yeah. it's so much bigger than that guys <laughs> yeah you, yeah i think i think you can do you you can really do much more with with that and uh well again the last of us is is pretty good at that mm -hmm. um but it's a great game so it's pretty good at almost everything <laughs> um and yeah that's that's i think it's a good trend uh but it's a lot of work because it means you have to to, to, to write that background, think about it, and then execute it, make it clear, etc. So, uh, but it's worth it, especially for games that are based on story. Of course, uh, if it's Fortnite, it's, uh, well, it's gameplay 100%, it's less important. But that's a trend I like. And, uh, well, I'll let uh, Matthias find another one. <laughs> that's a hard <laughs> question. That's, that's a hard question. So, uh, right, so first of all, I really like answers one of, uh, one of the answers. Answers one of yeah. Um, uh, so it's difficult coming after that. So I've been thinking since since he started talking. Um, there's one thing I like and would like to see. So I'm a big RPG fan, <coughs> and um, I've uh, played. Um, well, I started a few months ago, and I have to replay it once I have time. Um, a game I really liked that was uh, Kingdom Come Deliverance, and despite some some kind of bugs, but I didn't. I was lucky enough. I didn't see that many. Um, I really like the kind of idea that it's the world tells a story, and you have a main quest, but you can have you can feel the story all around you evolving at, at the same time. Um, I know they didn't. They um, maybe because it uh, limited time and uh, scope, but I'd, I'd like to see basically an RPG where you you're just uh, Mr. Nobody 
and you have to decide what you make of your life. So a bit of a sim life, basically, but really RPG-esque. Hmm. Um, and I, I've had, I have some kind of idea in the back of my head about that. So I'm writing about uh, putting things on paper about that, about a, um, an RPG where really you can, depending on your actions, uh, basically the world will live without you, but depending on your actions, you're going to have a ripple effect. A, um, <laughs> yeah, a, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the premise that was pushed a lot for a series of game by Peter Molino, if you remember. Uh, Fable. Oh yeah, Fable. And uh, and uh, Fable was really big trying to do that and have you see the world evolve a lot depending on what you do. I think it I think that would be a trend that would be good, but it's it is very difficult to do. Yes, it's uh, it's really really hard to do. Yeah. I've uh, yeah started writing things to have like a medieval world around that, so just simple, not fancy, uh, just a medieval world, and just starting to write the layout of that was. I haven't finished. It's it's huge, and I'm like, okay, now to put that in a game, and how many gigabytes is that game gonna be? Just to have all that content in it. Um, um, yeah, but you need to have it systemic. That's uh, but that was interesting with uh, with video games right now. Is uh, I, I think the golden age of video game is ahead of us. I don't think it's behind us. Uh, I think what we have lived so far, even if uh, like me, you, you've seen the entire history because I started playing uh, Pong when I was like seven or eight. So I've, I've effectively played through the entire history of video game up to this point. And I still think that we are just in the beginning, in the prehistory. I think there is, with the tech evolving, I think there is so much more that we are going to be capable of doing in the years to come. So uh, yeah, those, those trends of having a world that, that leaves, that is much more of a, of a global simulation, uh, I'm, I'm really eager to see that and eventually try to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always kind of disappointing for me whenever a game talks about, like, you know, you've got these NPCs that have, you know, real lives, and if you ever take the time to just follow them around, they, they kind of just walk around in a, a pattern. And sure, yeah. I mean, they, like, they're, they're, I don't know, they're sort of going home and they're sort of going to the store, but they're never actually like doing anything they're, they're literally just walking in like a giant circle the, the, and it's like the difficulty the difficulty is that you would need to simulate all oh, of yeah. your character of your world in in all the time which yeah even I... in terms of processing is impossible to do right, right now <laughs> so if you look at a game like gta 5 which is probably the one of the biggest uh, interactive world etc they have lots of technique to make believe like mm -hmm. making car appear in front of you and characters and we are not close, even close to being able to do what you wish. It, it would be really interesting. I mean, that's exactly what I would like to see. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why I'm saying uh, I think the golden age of video game is, is yet to come because there are still these huge frontier and barriers that, that we can cross and, and, make, and make games and experience we have never played before. And at least for me, that's really what, what, what still makes it so interesting. That's why I love it. Uh, and I love creating that uh, and, and I love this medium even more than others that I also love like movie, television, uh, painting or music or whatever because it, they, they still produce things that are fantastic uh, from time to time of course but their golden age of invention and, and pushing the frontier is a bit uh, kind of uh, past already 
uh, and it looks like it feels like it's just coming for for video games and that's a that's a bit very modestly part of what we'd like to be with uh, with tower five being able uh, to every time we make games to kind of push a bit this or there the boundary of what has been done before mm-hmm. uh, and not just iterate on on what's there because there is so much to do yet like the thing you just mentioned, that's, that's 10, 20 years of work before you can follow anyone in the street and he has his own life and his own agenda and his friends and he's actually uh, trying to maybe try to murder someone because he has those <laughs> interests, etc. That would be fantastic. It's not, it's not impossible. I mean, we have the science and tech to do it. It's just that the scale of it, both technically and in terms of production, is, is monstrous right now, but mm-hmm. if you haven't played Kingdom Come, I would try it because it, it gives you it's the the closest illusion I've seen to that. It mm-hmm. falls short at sometimes, but because uh, they seem to be uh, leading empty lives basically, but they do lead, uh, have a life of their own. Mm-hmm. They they go and have uh, lunch with their friends and talk. Uh, they talk about the latest news. They go to bed and stuff like that. Um, and it feels a bit realistic, but at the same time a bit empty. That's why it felt falls mm. short. But it's, it's the closest I've seen up until now. I, I have hopes for uh, for Cyberpunk, as I said, yeah. to, mm. to go mm-hmm. to go in that direction and, and and push the envelope again a little bit more in that direction. So I'm really waiting that game uh, yeah, eagerly. Excellent. Okay, so um, kind of flipping that question on uh, on its head. Is there a trope out there that you wish would either at least be lessened, if not go away entirely? Oof. Um, oof, oof, oof. <sighs> yeah, I... <sighs> Several. I, I, would, I don't <laughs> think... Uh, well, it's, it's all again something that is being discussed right now. Uh, I don't think the pure gambling mechanism that are, that are added to some games are something that benefit video games. Um, so I'm not... I guess it's going to be regulated or it starts becoming... Well, I think there are... I don't follow that closely because the game we do is uh, is not in that category at all, but um, I think it's already started in Belgium, etc., where the loot box are start being regulated, etc. Um, but there are games... China, I think, yeah. Germany, is, well. Germany yeah. So that trend of... Uh, having uh, kind of intentionally designing a gambling addictive element uh, in a game uh, that, that using psychological uh, tricks for that, I don't really see the benefit of that. And I'll, I'll tend to think that it's going to be regulated uh, one way or the other, which will make it uh, less predominant. Um, and I don't think we'll lose much by having that being uh, less strong, actually. Mm-hmm. Sure. In terms of pure design, uh, oh, there are many things. Um, I'll, I'll leave Matthias' answer and try to find a better answer to your to your to your really hard questions. Uh, I was waiting for Renaud to come with an answer so I could take time to think of my own. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I don't know. Um, there's one thing, it's not that it's a trend, it used to be more um, something that was done a lot in the past because of technical reasons, but sometimes people try to do it again, which is uh, limiting your ability to save the game, mm. um, and 
and especially nowadays where it's more you know, sometimes you're well i know i'm more of a um uh, crunch bite or how you say that um you know yeah you, you play just by small yeah bites. small i play small bites because i don't have more time than that i've got a lot of things to do while well, i'm living between two two cities um i i've worked for seven years in the industry and now i'm back to being a student uh, and i want to re uh push my career forward as a game designer. So I'm trying to think of building my portfolio on my personal side with Tower 5 and at school at the same time. So it's a lot of things, plus my family. That's too many. <laughs> yeah, it's way too many things. Um, and I barely have time to play. And uh, I'm playing a type of game that Renault doesn't really like, uh, some kind of uh, idle games on mobile. Because it's, it's something I can pull out of my pocket, uh, launch a thing, and I can do something at the same time. I need to do the laundry. I can play that game at the same time because it plays itself, basically. And I take sometimes an hour or two to make the strategic decisions or tactical decisions on how I'm going to uh, equip my characters or how I'm going to build my teams. And then the team is going to roll on itself and I'm going to see how well it performs. Um, oh. it's, it's a bit like a... Um, I see those games a bit like a, uh, uh, a football manager game where you uh, basically build your team and then it plays on itself and you see how it performs and then adapt to that. Um, and, and that's the kind of game I play at the moment because I don't have time to sit down an hour or two to play a uh, console or a PC game. I've, I've just found another one that is, uh, that is stressful <laughs> and it, it could be coped a little bit. You have a lot of open world games that have those huge open world maps mm -hmm. uh, and they usually end up being I think way too cluttered to the point that it's intimidating because you have 200 icons of activities you could have. Absolutely. So I think that's, uh, and it looked in, in the last five years maybe that you had this trend of the more icon on the map, the better, and to the point where it's a bit overwhelming. So uh, that's a trend I think that, that, that should kind of deflate and maybe it would be better to that you have less point of interest and less activity, but they are all a little bit more interesting instead of having 400 of them because I, I don't have the stats, but I'd be, I'd be, I don't think many players actually ever uh, empty this map. You just finish the main story, play a bit of this, and then, yeah, that's, that's too much. So, yeah, that's a, that's a trend maybe that could go away of we absolutely have to give you a thousand uh, points of interest on the map. That's, that's a bit too much. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said, like so, for open worlds, one of the main issue is you you might have a lot of things to do, but it still feels empty. I think that's Breath of, that's even worse. <laughs> Breath of the Wild is one of the only ones that really gave you that uh, feelings, that feeling of uh, you still you want to explore because there's something cool to discover, mm -hmm. and it's one of the only open worlds that really had that impression of I really want to go on top of that mountain to see what's there. Because I've done that in a lot of open worlds, and it's usually very disappointing. It's like, oh yeah, it's a very nice sunset, and that's pretty much well, it. Well, we'll see how uh, the next Oblivion, uh, when it released, managed to address all of that. It will be interesting. <laughs> do you have another vicious question for us? Yes, uh, of course I do. Um, so we're actually down to the last two questions. Uh, the next one is less related to video games. And uh, it's just, you know, you're making video games, which is awesome. But if you could give any other profession a try, uh, it's not assuming that you have to, you know, leave video games or something catastrophic happens. But if there was just something <laughs> else that you would like to do, what would it be? Oh. 
Um, oh, that's, that's an easy answer for me. So uh, that would be working in, in a scientific field uh, because I come from there. So I was trained as a as a robotic engineer and did quite a lot of, um, of physics and math and all of that. And I loved it too. So if I had to, yeah, I would, I would probably go back to doing uh, physics, um, like things like uh, electromagnetism, um, laws, etc. So yeah, that would be that, surely. Um, let's probably switch to scientific career, I would think. I would, I would enjoy that. Something completely different from video game because, of course, yeah, writing scripts for, uh, but it's it's kind of it's still creative. So something, well, science is creative too, of course. But yeah, that would be that. Uh, going okay. back to a more more hard science, I would say. Okay, you just destroyed my uh, my idea. So you can't have the same. No, 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 no. <laughs> from what you said, uh, writing is kind of part of video games so that doesn't count well, well my, mine would be uh, being a writer okay. i've had that idea of a um uh, a sci-fi world and i wrote uh, a few page actually on that on that already i'm just missing the time as i said already uh, <laughs> on um to, to push it forward but i uh, i keep as Rono said earlier it's something I keep maturing and every time I've got something really cool, something very flashy in my head that it's like a very uh, pitch perfect picture of what I want, then I write that somewhere. Um, the writer, yeah, that's, that's, that's probably one of the jobs that is as hard as making video game. <laughs> Make a living as a writer, I think that's, that's really difficult also. Definitely. Excellent. Okay, so here's the, the final question. Yeah. Um, and uh, this one, so I'm trying out. We've I've got a traditional final question that's super weird, but I'm trying something new out. Um, all right, so let's say uh, the two of you are walking down the street, and both Snake and Link show up. <laughs> what do you want them to say to you? Oh, keep up the good fight. <laughs> Son. <laughs> so Snake is your father, you find out? <laughs> or is he just yeah. saying son affectionately? No, like that, uh, with, a, with, a, with a pat on the shoulder, like, yeah, <laughs> keep, keep keep trying, son. You're, you're kind of doing the, you're doing the good job. Yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. Keep, keep doing that. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> it's kind of difficult. I don't remember Link really talking, so... <laughs> Uh, well, he doesn't, so he says his first words ever, and they're to you. What? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't know. Um, with Breath of the World, I would think you would say, who are you? <laughs> that's, uh, really <laughs> thematic. Uh, well, that's a great answer. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, who are okay. you? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm, je I'm jealous of his answer. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave it Maybe it's the best answer. We could. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> okay, so um, how do you answer that then? Who are you? Uh, mm, mm. That's how do we both answer that? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> huh. Well, uh, kind of uh, high level answer would be like, well, probably the only way to make the world a better place is to try to do whatever you do as best as you can, uh, Snake. And that's, that's what I'm mostly trying to do, uh, as you do in 
well, in your games. Uh, <laughs> in your world. Not, not pondering to the lowest common denominator and trying hard to do to do the right thing. And that's not that's not easy in, in the world. It's never easy. So yeah, that would be that. Okay. Um I think I'll tell him I'm a happy go lucky that really likes to work hard to um to go to go where he wants to and uh and I'd be happy to go and have a drink with him for him to know more about me. Oh yeah, that's definitely. <laughs> that, that, that would be a, a thing to do. We'd, be, we'd both, we'd invite them both to have a drink. But of course, then you can both say, "I had a drink with Snake and Link," <laughs> and that's it. You you can die uh, you can die happy with that. So uh, yeah, that's, and that's then a great and then that becomes who you are. You're the guys that had a drink with yeah. Snake and Link. That's <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the problem is that if you say that to a lot, you're probably in a padded cell somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you, I had drinks with them. Yeah, of course, mister. You just stay there. It's really good for you. Take the pill. You need it. So, yeah, it's a bit dangerous to say, but we need photographic proof. But people will say, hey, oh, yeah, your CGI incrustation are really, really convincing. No, it was real. But yeah, your answer is, is great. Yeah, have a drink with them. That's, that's probably the best thing to do, especially with Snake. <laughs> Uh, you first need a cool introduction to make them want to, you know, talk to you. Uh, if they knew Star Wars, I could actually say I'm, I'm in the Star Wars credits because I worked on a Star Wars game, so that could be kind of cool. But I think would know Star Wars would have forgotten it, so it's lost. <laughs> I, I wouldn't boast my credits in front of Snake. I think uh, I'll, I'll have, I will try to remain cool, not to <laughs> ruffle his feather. <laughs> That's a good question, man. Fantastic. All right, well, that, that does it for the interview. Uh, we went a little longer than normal, but I had a great time. I hope you guys did as well. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah, you. Good. Thank you so much no for problem. sitting down with me. If you could actually send us out real quick by letting listeners know where they can go to find out more information about Lone Sword Winter Chronicles. Yeah, I'll let, uh, I'll let Matthias send you the, the info. Um, but I think, as, uh, as, our, as our friend said, if, if anyone you know or linked to that has specific question on what we do, etc., uh, they can go back to Plan of Attack uh, and they have all the information. We, um, we also actually have plenty of social medias. So, because uh, I used to be social media manager, uh, community manager, sorry. And so I've set up a, a Discord, I've set up a um, Facebook, a Twitter. And so you just type Lonesword next to, uh, you know, twitter.com uh, slash Lonesword, facebook.com slash Lonesword, uh, and you'll find uh, our pages. Um, and uh, you will usually have Discord also linked uh, over there. Excellent. Well, I, I'll be sure to include all that in the show notes for this episode. Thank you guys again. And uh, good luck as you continue development, go into early access, and all the other stuff that you've got planned. Yeah, and well, maybe we talk another time for another game. Sounds great. Okay, great. See you then. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>